Good morning, New Hope Community Church. We're continuing in our series of Acts today, so I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke. Um, every time I tell that joke, nobody laughs. I've got to stop telling it. Yeah, you got it. It's all right. Anyway, <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, we're actually going to begin there. Um, truth is that today is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study than a sermon, <clears throat> um, but uh, we are continuing today in our series empowered to participate. This series is all about how the Holy Spirit, the power that that rose Jesus from the grave, lives in us and empowers us to be the church for our world. As such, this is a series on the book of Acts, which is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. What what Jesus started in the book of Luke, he will continue through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And before we get to Acts, I want us to turn back to Luke 4. I want us to see that the story that Luke began uh, in his gospel is the same story that we see in Acts. Uh, yesterday, I, I, I saw, had a chance to go to the movie theater for the first time uh, in uh, well over a year, and I saw The Quiet Place 2, which is like an alien movie. Um, and, you know, I, the, there was a little interview before the movie where uh, the, the director was saying, like, you know, we made the first movie, and of course we wanted it to be a success, but we hadn't planned on making anything else. Uh, we hadn't planned on there being a sequel. Um, but then we had to come up with how we were going like, to kind of, you know, build this larger world out of this very successful original story. This, with Luke and Acts, Acts is a sequel that he actually intended to write. Um, that that, that this, Luke, The Gospel of Luke, sometimes we think of the... Of, of the of, of the gospel as kind of like um, the main event, which, of course, as Jesus followers, we want to think about the story and the life and the mission of Jesus as the main event. Um, but what does the main event do? It compels us to be the church. Uh, and Luke is continuing this story um, uh, that he began uh, with his gospel. So at the beginning of Luke 4, we're told that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. We see him have this fascinating interaction with the devil where he's tempted to to shortcut his mission. Jesus and the devil, they kind of have this battle of wits, kind of like the the man in black at Vicini and the princess bride, you know, and and Jesus bests him, you know, uh, and and the devil kind of limps away, plotting his next move. But, But Luke tells us that Jesus moves on and returns to Galilee, and he notices this that news about him is beginning to spread, right? There had been an earlier incident with John the Baptist and a dove and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a voice from heaven that declared, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So there's lots of spirit language here right from the beginning of Luke's story. We need to pay attention to that. Luke tells us then in verse 15 in chapter 4 that that Jesus had begun to teach in the synagogues of Galilee as his reputation spread more and more. Well, one day, he comes to his hometown, his hometown of Nazareth, where all the people, most of the people that he knew in the most, probably most in the world, lived. I mean, you can imagine how hard it would be to impress, how hard it is to impress like the people closest to you, especially the people that have like watched you grow up. You know, it's difficult to, 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 get, to actually impress the people that might have changed your diapers. 
And he goes to the synagogue, you know, as was his custom. You know, he was a devout Jew, after all. Um, like he'd been doing in the surrounding countryside, he's going to different synagogues. He goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, and, and he stands up in the middle of a gathering, just like this today. And someone hands him the scroll, a scroll of what we would call the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And Jesus unrolls the scroll, and he takes his time to find just the right place. And he comes to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at that moment, he doesn't say anything else. He just rolls the scroll back up and he hands it to the attendant and he sits down. But everyone is sitting there with their mouths open wondering what just happened. Luke tells us that all eyes were fixed on him, and silence fills the room. And eventually, Jesus says it. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I'm the guy. I'm the one you've been waiting for. The Holy Spirit is upon me, and my mission is to set the captives free. My mission is healing. As you read through Luke's story of Jesus' life, we see it. We see it over and over and over again. Examples of Jesus' healing and cleansing and declaring authority over things that only God has authority over. He has these repeated interactions with folks and heals them. He heals them physically, recovery of sight to the blind and healing lame people. Um, he heals them physically. He heals them spiritually. He reminds them that what they need is a spiritual relationship with their Heavenly Father. He heals them emotionally. He helps to realign their heart, to get their heart in the right place. He heals them mentally because Jesus does have information about the kingdom that we need to know. And he heals them socially. He tells them, actually, those people, those people that you hate, those people who are outsiders, they're actually your neighbors, and you owe them your sacrificial love. Now, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4, 14, sorry, 14. Here, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And he's having dinner with them just hours before he will be arrested and tried and crucified. He had told his disciples that all this would happen. And now he looks at them and he says this in verse 12 of John chapter 14. Truly, truly, I say to you guys, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him nor uh, sees him or knows him, but, but you know him, the Spirit for he dwells with you. He will be in you. These works of healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, social, 
Jesus gets the ball rolling, and then he hands it off to the disciples. That might be a mix of metaphors, sorry. He gets the ball rolling, and then he hands it off to his disciples, who are going to continue this mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we leave John, take note of how important a few of the other details are. What kind of themes did, did Jesus just talk about in that little speech with the disciples? Faith, you know, faith, not just believing in God, believing God. The lordship of Christ, that, that, that you know, there, there's the, there's the God-named God tag and the not-God-named tag, and you get the one that says not God. And what that leads us to is worship and love and obedience and prayer. These greater things that the disciples are going to do as they continue the mission of God are going to happen as a result of their personal and cooperative relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to do great things, Christian? You want to change the world? Do you want to heal the world? Do you care about things like justice and righteousness? How would you define your relationship with God? Would those words like faith and love and obedience, surrender, submission, sacrifice, forgiveness, and humility, would those words be words that you would describe your relationship with God right now? Or would you have to use other words? And you might say, nobody's perfect, come on. Indeed. Which is exactly why you need Jesus in the first place. The world is a broken place. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. There is a job to be done, no doubt. But if you intend on dedicating your life to the truly great things that need to be done, the, the great things that God has, has, has given you to do, it's going to take first a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of that begins with grace, right? There's nothing you need to do to earn God's love. You have it period. Jesus loves you exactly as you are, although he doesn't intend to leave you as you are. But from that love and grace does come a responsibility. There's a cost to live a life worthy of the gift that you've been given. I'm here to tell you, friends, that, that if you try to live your life without Jesus at the center, if you try to live your life with something other than Jesus at the center of your existence, you will stumble over idols again and again and again. And the worst idol of all is ourselves. When I place love, obedience, and faithfulness to Joe's deeds, when I place that behind the steering wheel of my life, I find that the seat gets pretty crowded. And I get lost easily because I don't really know where I'm going. But when I get out of the car and I get into the passenger seat and I let Jesus take the wheel, it turns out not only is he a better driver than I am, he knows where I needed to go. If you get nothing else today, from today, hear me on this, you will never, ever, ever be more you than the you you are in Christ. Let me say that again. You will never, ever be more you than the you you are in Christ. Now, does that mean that all of life's problems and you know, all the things in life are going to kind of fall nicely together when you follow Jesus? No, life's a journey, not a destination. But the more we live our lives to the glory of God, it is from that position that we're going to find true meaning and true purpose. That's where we discover the mission.
Now, with all that in our heads, now let's go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, it's, you know, comes right after Acts chapter 2, if you didn't know your Bible. Um, sorry. We talked about kind of Acts, that the end of Acts chapter 2 kind of has this like happily ever after feel. It feels almost like the end of a story. But really, I think Acts chapter 3 is almost like a new beginning. Uh, it, it, it's where we see the disciples, where we see the church be in the church, right? Peter and John, apostles, disciples, Individuals who had spent years following the master are now, what are they doing? Interesting, what are they doing? What do we immediately see them doing at the beginning of Acts chapter 3? They are going to the temple. Why? Because they were devout Jews, just like Jesus was. They went to church. It was about 3 p.m., the hour of prayer, and in the heat of the afternoon sun, they come to the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate. And they see a man there that Luke tells us was lame from birth, who had been carried to the gate each day and placed at the entrance of the temple, asking help from the people. How many days had he been there? How many times that day alone had the man asked for help? It's three o'clock in the afternoon, after all. Money, food, anything. Person after person, pass him by. Some give him a handout, some don't. But Peter and John? We're told that Peter and John fix their attention on this guy. They lock eyes with him. They see each other. And the man expects to receive something from them. And, and, and maybe he reaches out his hand, you know, expecting to, to get something, you know. And it's Peter who speaks. And of course, we haven't even talked about today. Tons of backstory about Peter, right? All the stuff that we know about Peter and the, and the, and the, and, and the rooster and the, and the water and the walking on water and all, all, the, all this stuff is also in our heads. We, now we hear Peter about to do, see Peter about to do something. It's Peter with this man who has his hand reached out. It's Peter who says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And Peter reaches out his hand and he helps this man to his feet who had never walked before. And the man starts feeling strong. For a moment, he felt strength returning to his legs, his feet, his ankles. He needed to steady himself against Peter because he had never used his body before. But before long, he's, he starts to walk and he follows Peter. What happens? He follows Peter and John into the temple. With each step, he's feeling stronger and stronger as he walks with Peter and John. And before long, he's leaping with joy and praising God. Personally, I don't leap. I am not one to leap. I just did, yeah. And to that point, if you see me leaping, you better believe I have a darn good reason for it. This dude starts leaping through the temple, and he's causing a bit of a scene. Do you see what's going on here? For years, this man had been at a gate, had been at the gate almost in, but not quite. He had watched day after day, maybe year after year, as people went into God's space. Some gave money, some gave food. But this day was vastly different than those other days. On this day, on this day, God used his disciples, his apostles, his ambassadors to heal a man and then usher him into the presence of God. 
This guy is leaping through the temple, praising God. Peter was very clear that all of this happened in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then the man followed them into the temple. So, so evidently, evidently for these devout Jews, evidently the connection between Jesus and the God of Israel was immediate and intimate. Now, remember back to Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord had been upon Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus' mission was to heal people in every way that they needed to be healed. But, you know, the funny thing about the Gospels is that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. He could have healed everybody, but he didn't. Remember the temptation that we mentioned back with Jesus' battle of wits with the devil? What did the devil tempt him with? The devil tempted him with shortcuts. Shortcuts that would have bypassed teaching, all the teaching and all the learning and all the imitating and all the disciple making that he did with his, with his closest followers. The devil had basically said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, you continue on this path. You know where it leads. See, the shortcut the devil was offering would have bypassed the cross and the empty tomb. The devil had said to Jesus, look, look, look around, Jesus, look around this world. You tell me if I'm not in charge of this world. See how corrupt the world has become? The Romans? The Romans are just another in a long line of oppressors. And let me tell you, they're not the last ones. I will give all of this to you right now if you bow down and worship me. Now, Luke wouldn't have called it a temptation if it wasn't tempting. It was tempting. But it wasn't the mission of God. What am I getting at? The mission of God, our mission, is not a mission of shortcuts. No, Jesus didn't heal everyone. And our acts of healing are not going to be as immediate as those disciples, as Peter and John experienced that day. Jesus healed some in order to show his disciples, though, the new way of being human. He healed some in order that those he healed would go and heal others, just like we see Peter and John doing in Acts 3. You see, God's mission in Jesus wasn't just to heal people, it was to start a revolution of healing. To preach good news and freedom and recovery from the physical ill, certainly, but more than that, from the spiritual bondage of sin to which each and every one of us is held captive. If you and I opened up any, just about any history book, we could see the evils that the church had participated in over the centuries. But the reason why I stick with the church, the reason why I'm a pastor, the reason why I've dedicated my life to this is because I believe that we are the organization best equipped to do what Peter and John did that day at the beautiful gate. I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can participate in God's mission of healing to the whole world. Not by shortcuts, but by faith, love, and obedience. By faith, love, and obedience. That, that's the position where we can see that stranger at the gate, and we can reach out that hand of healing, and we can help them to their feet, and lead them into the presence of God. That's the responsibility of a Christian. That's the responsibility of a person who is a part of the church. You see, the reason why I haven't given up on the church is because on our best days, the church looks like men and women, just like you and I, giving our lives to what matters most to God, people. 
I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Over the centuries, on our best days, the church, what the church has looked like, is it looked like worshiping, a worshiping community just like ours, um, of Christ-centered men and women and children who have given their lives to their wider community through what? Hospitals, schools, shelters, recovery groups, centers for healing. And it doesn't end there. We can be advocates for the arts and sciences and businesses and athletics. If you haven't noticed, those things in our community have a very serious impact, a good impact on healing our broken world. And the church exists to be advocates for those who have given their life to them. We don't come to church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We gather at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings to worship God and to learn how we can be the church seven days a week outside those doors at our jobs, our schools, in the real world. You see, here's the thing from today's, today's passage from Acts 3. Most of the miracles are going to happen outside the gate. We can read the history books and we can see how corrupt religion has fallen for the shortcuts instead of following Jesus' lead. Jesus didn't take a shortcut, neither should we. Too often, we have bypassed the sacrificial work of dedicating our lives to people, dedicating our lives to our communities, and instead opted for turning faith into something like fire insurance for insiders. We can do better. By faith, love, and obedience in the name of Jesus Christ, we can continue the mission of God for Catonsville and beyond. That is why I am sold out to the mission of the church. So often I hear people point out the church's failings and then they have this attitude of, you see, we don't need all that religion stuff. We never needed God. We can do all of this on our own. That is the lie that the devil is telling us. You don't need Jesus. You don't need Jesus. You just need to focus on your own authority, your own happiness, your own truth. Friend, God, friends, God cares more about your truth. God, he cares more about truth than we ever could. He cares more about our happiness than we ever could. The happiness we envision for our lives is an idol compared to the life that he has in store for us, a life full to overflowing. But it begins, all of that begins with putting Jesus on the throne. So how do I know if I'm taking a shortcut? Well, I would say that it's a good sign that you're taking the shortcut if you haven't identified the cost. We are a cruciform community. We, are a, we, we follow a cruciform faith. That means that we look to the cross. We have the same mind in us personally and corporately that Jesus had on the cross. And here's the thing, as I, as I said last week, I think that if we can't identify the price we're going to have a hard time identifying the prize. If we can't identify the sacrifice, what we're doing to take a moment, for Peter and John, it was just, you know, a, a moment out of their day where they, they were about the mission of, they were going to temple, right? They were doing the devout thing, but they locked eyes. They saw the guy. They took the time to see the guy as he was. And that's just a little thing, of course. But for us, it... it, it the idea that we have a responsibility to live a life of sacrificial love, that is what the life of the church is all about, modeled after Jesus, following this path of the cross. 